1: like you've never heard it before.
2: The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokutlela. Welcome Lions. Dumela Gary and Dumela our podcasters and our guest today. Today we're discussing intellectual property. And What's uh, that? Yeah, we're well, gonna learn all about it. We're gonna ask whether your business, well that's what we're asking now, whether your business concepts are sufficiently protected. Mm-hmm. And if not, you've got to really listen to this one. Can your competitor or your best friend duplicate your success and sell your ideas as their own? It happens so often as we know, Lions. Mm-hmm. Protecting your ideas is a must in today's dog eat dog world. Dog-eat-dog! That one's for you, Lon. Oh, yeah, that's a rock and roll. It's uh, by genocide. Sorry, genocide by the offspring. DJ, yeah. you make it happen all the time. Great music. Selection. In a doggy dog world, <laughs> lines business often means that someone wants to scale your ideas, as we say.
1: Unfortunately.
2: Yeah, therefore it's imperative that you protect one of your most important assets, and that is your intellectual property. And there's no one better in this town to explain to you how to protect yourself and your company. So uh, we've invited into our studio intellectual property specialist attorney, Jeremy Kingsbury. He's from K I G R K I G R dot C O dot Z A. Welcome to you, Jeremy.
3: Ah, welcome. Thank you very much.
2: Cool. Our email address, law at Cliffcentral.com, let us hear from you. Lines you want to give out the Twitter handle.
1: At it, law, H E R T Z L A W and you can just give us a tweak and just like our page.
2: Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Certainly. Some of the questions we are taking today, and there are tons of them on the very topic, have been posted by members of our collaborative partner, Legal Talk South Africa, with their membership of 160,000 people. Amazing.
1: Amazing. That's great.
2: By the way, on the issue of numbers, our very own Gareth Cliff, who owns this very platform, has 1,8 million Twitter followers. Did you know that? Oh,
1: no, I didn't know that.
2: Every really? time he opens his mouth or he tweets something, uh, 1,8 million people have the pleasure of hearing what Gareth has to say. Amazing, wow. isn't it? That's great. That's in addition to our hundreds of thousands of people on the social platform platforms that form part of Cliff Central, the social media side. Now, uh, quickly, if you haven't downlo- yet downloaded the Cliff Central app, then you're living in the dark ages. Even a tech imbecile like myself has it downloaded. And uh, after the show, I, it takes me one, literally 30 seconds to download it in a Wi-Fi environment. And I play my program to myself over and over. No, I don't. I listen to all the programs. And it's downloaded in really 30 seconds in a Wi-Fi environment. And then I play it in my car through the speakers. They're my amazing... Great. You do the same, Lance?
1: No, I do all the time.
2: Cool. Jeremy Kingsbury, uh, one of the uh, people that people uh, look up to on the intellectual property side. Jer, uh, let's talk. I don't know with how we're going to split this up. It's just, it's, there's so much to uh, in, intellectual property law. W- let's talk about intangibles. I hear the word intangibles. What are intangibles and what can you protect?
3: The intangibles is basically what intellectual property is because they're not concrete assets. So when you talk about intangibles, um, you're looking at things like copyright, trademarks, patents, uh, and even to an extent there's a specialist position in advertising. Now, the intangibles goes further because there's something called intellectual capital mm-hmm. which relates to technical know-how, and that's often more important because that relates – to information and abilities of people and their skills Mm -hmm. so then that gets broken down to something called show how where for example there's a process and only certain people know how to do it and know how where a person has the technical ability to uh, do a particular job. It uh, becomes very relevant because you can have all the technology in the world, but if you don't have the people with the know-how to operate it, it can be devastating. Mm. The problem with the know-how is that cannot be registered. That is protected contractually.
2: Okay, Jerry, you do have an LLM, which is a Master's in Law. Is it on this subject of intellectual property? Or it's uh,
3: it? intellectual property and commercial law.
2: Okay, cool. Not many guys walking around with that uh, Master's, or are there? Uh, don't sure don't be modest. Few. We'd like to boost you a little. Okay, <laughs> let's maybe break this down. We'll deal with a bit of copyright and we'll go to trademark and then we'll move on to uh, into intellectual capital. We'll do them all today. Uh, every day of the year, there are people, I guess, in an office that are creating Uh, something that's special when you think about it really copyright covers emails and letters and legal documents I guess articles computer programs spreadsheets scientific models and you can go on and on some people in the photographic business are creating photos and then there are people that are I suppose creating sound recordings films and and works the question is how do these people go about protecting their creations so that they're not infringed There's a two-part question. And if you're working on a job, who does it belong to? Does it belong to the employer or the employee?
3: Okay, there's quite a lot to put in. But basically, um, you talk about copyright there, which is traditionally for artistic works. But you mentioned other things such as uh, computer programs. Now, in copyright per se, it's not a registrable right. With the exceptions of computer programs where you can actually file a patent for it Mm -hmm. and you protect the end function. It's generally not advisable because with that you give over the source code. So Mm -hmm. a lot of companies nowadays, they rather keep trade secrets and they put the source code in a escrow account and locked away. But, uh,
2: sorry, will you, will you explain that in more detail a little later or you want to? No, I'll
3: explain it now. When what happens is that, uh, there's, with source code, there's, there's open source, which is available to all, but if uh, it's high-tech software, it's not done in open source. It's protected, mm-hmm. and it's often encrypted. So it can't be copied because uh, the commands in the, are in a format which are which makes it difficult to copy and paste. So the original source code is often locked away.
2: If you want to patent it, Then you've got to give away.
3: Yes. You see, the problem is if you want to patent the software, you've actually got to expose the source code. So when you file the patent spec, you've not only got to uh, show the source code, you've also got to show how it operates.
2: And who gets to see that?
3: Well, until it's registered, when it's pending, it's not available to public inspection. So in the pending stage, when it's registered, and it's open to all. Yeah. And the problem with that is that uh, because there's such a lot of source code out there, if you change a few of uh, um, so, uh, certain lines of the code, you fall outside the scope. Because the protection you get is anything which departs from what exists. And because there's such a lot of source code out there, your protection is limited. It was different than... To that 20 years ago, when there wasn't a lot and people were filing more so more because there wasn't uh, a lot out there so that backfires that uh, approach in regard to sorry
2: someone walks into your office and says we've got something something novel it's magnificent
3: in terms of software yeah you see it's it's uh well, the functionality is important, but the thing is they should keep that as a trade secret
2: because, how do you do that?
3: Well, and you can encrypt this, the, the software, so it's difficult to copy. Yeah. And what happens is you buy licenses. So so what in effect happens is if you want to use it, you get a license. Uh-huh. And you download, the, and there's normally a uh, click agreement, shrimp rack license, and you pay a subscription fee. And um, you, you, that's, that's the best way to do it. To protect it, that would be a software engineer who would put encryption in. Mm-hmm. So that it's difficult to cut and paste because in practice it does happen. I'll tell you also, for example, a lot of companies, they have Microsoft licenses, but they share the licenses. Mm. So it's very hard to police. There are, there are fora out there which do police it and it has to work on honesty. The aspect is if you create the software yourself and it's your business, um, the best way to protect it is contractually because you can often prove when someone's using it mm-hmm. because it's if it's unique, there's very few people who, who can create it. But it gets also it.
2: No go, go on. It
3: gets uh, more complicated because when you look at systems like SAP and even the Oracle systems, you you buy a base system which is uh, it could be. Um, uh, an operating system, and then what happens is you can make it bespoke. Mm-hmm. So you you buy the basic SAP system, and then you design it to to help you. For example, you buy our basic ERP system, and you develop it. And the problem happens, which uh, is that when you do the developments, in terms of the license agreements, all those, for example, in SAP, it goes back to SAP. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been problems. One of the big mining companies worked on a on a system, did huge developments on it, and then they onsold it to another mining company. Mm-hmm. And uh, SAP came along and said, no, you can't do that because all the amendments, modification, and the bespoke source code mm-hmm. actually belongs to us in terms of the license agreement. So the type of protection you've got if you've got a valuable asset such as an IP and software is to contractually reserve it.
2: The question then is who owns it if it's been uh, developed by, by an employee?
3: If it's developed by an employee and it's in the course and scope of his employment, then unless it's contrary to his employment contract, the employer has it. So if, you are developed, if you're employed to create uh, software or you're employed in the engineering department and you develop technical output such a source code, then uh, automatically that vests in the employer. Mm. But if it's not in the course and scope of employment, then it would vest in the employee that's provided doesn't use his employer's resources. I'll give you a practical example. If you're employed as an accountant in a company and in your lunch hour, you sit there and you create amazing software Mm. unrelated to your job, it belongs to the employee Unless it's uh, contrary to his employment contract, uh, you, it, the employer could argue. But you're using the employer's resources, and therefore mm-hmm. it belongs to him. But the reality is, if you're working on someone's computer in lunchtime, you're not really using his resources. It's not like you're working in a laboratory and um, in, and creating, you, you know, using expensive resources
2: so the the software the developed software is always always belongs to the employer even after the employee leaves it makes no difference it's always in the hands of the employer
3: if it's created while he's in in the employee in the course and scope course yes. and scope yes. yes when he leaves it's still if it belongs to the employer um There's specialized legislation, for example, the CSIR, which is quite harsh, which holds that anything you create uh, within a year after you terminate employment, irrespective, even if it wasn't created during your employee, belongs to the CSIR. The reason being is they employ people primarily to do research and development.
2: For a year after you've left the employee? Yeah, so if you do something, even
3: if uh, you do it totally unrelated to work and it's a year afterwards.
2: Is this by law, operation of law? That's a special, law or? Uh,
3: special legislation.
2: Uh, except for that, uh, the re- employer-employee relationship, is it by operation of law that it belongs to the employer or is it by contract?
3: Um, well, the Copyright Act stipulates where the ownership vests, uh, which is quite clear, mm. but uh, that can be uh, overridden through contract mm. because you're entitled to contract out of What the uh, Copyright Act says Um,
2: I think the issue here, Jer, is that Do employers need to see Someone like yourself To put it in the employment contract?
3: Yes, because in terms of the employment contract You can take away A lot of rights or you can give away a lot of rights Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also often difficult to prove If it's not an employment contract What's in the course and scope of employment Because if you want to take it Delve deeper if uh, you employ an accountant and he creates advanced software but it relates to accounting, strictly speaking, you could argue it does or does not fall within his employment contract. Yes. So then, then you enter into that terrible thing of judicial interpretation and the gray areas. You don't want to go there. And then, then you into fights which are costly, emotionally draining and not worthwhile. And Coming back to your issue of uh, employee... The more senior the employee, such as a director, uh, he's got a fiduciary duty to his employer. Mm. So he cannot go and, and uh, he's, got, he's got stronger restrictions once he leaves the employee of uh, his, his last company. Which then leads to the next issue you talking about employment contract to put it in is an aspect of a restraint, not only a restraint of trade, a restraint of what you can do. Mm. The problem with restraints is there's a constitutional right that people are entitled to quite rightly make a living. Mm. And the restraints of trade are generally very hard to I- implement and enforce. So the restraint of trade should be done in conjunction with the employment contract if you're an employer to enforce it.
2: Let's take some of the questions that have come through from our legal talk uh, South Africa members. One of them, uh, we'll just fire them at you, Giro. When, When a person is the author of a piece of written work, in this case poetry, it comes from Henry, do you have to copyright it or is it automatically protected? Explain whether copyright is automatic or not really.
3: Copyright vests automatically without registration. So what that implies is if you've done a, uh, let's use example poetry, if you've created a poem, the requirement is that it has to be, uh, merit, it has to have meritorious distinctiveness mm-hmm. and it has to be an artistic work, which poetry subject so it automatically falls in that parameter. Now, to prove that you are the author can be difficult because, for example, you have situations where two people come up with independent works at the same time even though they're the same and then it becomes an evidentiary burden to prove. But what people are doing if they think there's commercial viability if they're a professional writer is they do tricks such as posting the work to themselves and they can prove A, the date of creation and B, that it's theirs. That's very important because an infringer will often say but I created this before and then you as the Copyright holder, they need to prove that I wrote this particular work on date X. Mm. Now, another issue is, is that you get people who collaborate, and then uh, you can't claim to be the exclusive copyright holder. That often happens with music mm. because you will get someone who creates the musical score, someone who creates the vocal, and someone who will do the content. Mm. Now, the problem that you've got there is uh, proof of copyright owner.
2: So on the question of music There's something I'm going to play very soon uh, Did you want to say something more? Because I think I may have interrupted your No, that's no. perfect Okay, so we, we have something that's, that's really interesting, Jerry And I want you to comment on it um, We're going to play two pieces of music One of them is by Sam Smith Who is famous, as we know It's called Stay With Me And then Tom Petty This is a year or two ago, before he died He said that he had a similar song and that Sam Smith copied his So let's play Sam Smith first Stay with me And then we'll play Tom Petty's I Won't Back Down And then we'll Lionel will comment Because he's very musical And then you'll talk to us about the law Let's go with Sam Smith oh, won't you stay with me
0: Cause you're This ain't love. And darling, stay with me Won't you stay with me Cause you're all I need This ain't love, it's clear to see And darling, stay
2: Okay, Lines, that's Sam Smith Stay With Me. Oh well it's Are such you, a beautiful music. It is beautiful. Yeah. Let's take a listen. I don't know if there's a great similarity, but let's take a listen to Tom Petty, I won't back down. That's, uh, yeah, what do you think, Lyons? The similar? drums are similar. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the, the beat. The beat, the tune. Yeah. yeah. There's it's a similarity, there's, isn't there? There's
1: similarity in that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. But what would happen? How do, how do these musicians go about doing this, uh, Joe?
3: Okay, comment on that particular matter. I don't know mm. the specific facts of, of I, I can of tell you the end result. What is was that, the end result? Then? Is that
2: uh, Sam Smith settled the copyright dispute with Tom Petty. Because there was a likeness, there is a likeness between the uh, Stay With Me and Petty's Full Moon Fever hit. I won't back down. So, yeah.
3: Okay. I'll tell you what practically happens. With these artists, they generally have contracts with uh, record companies. Mm -hmm. And generally, they sign over all rights up front. So, whether it's Gallo Records or any other record company, they won't enter into a recording contract without an assignment of rights And I'll give you a, a very good example Which came practically relevant to this case Is Michael Jackson and Sony There was an assignment of his music rights over to Sony And there was a dispute when he died mm-hmm. Same um, Because they basically put out the money The, the, the recording companies And uh, uh, do the investment So normally what would happen is recording artist assigns over the rights so I'm quite surprised that in the individual capacity that it's not one of the big record companies. Such it may as well have been. Yeah.
2: I, I, all I can say is that uh, the case says Sam Smith, it may yes. well have been his… Now, yeah. in
3: America, they have uh, registration of copyright, and I assume that this case happened in the U.S. Yes. So what would have happened there is the sound recording would have been recorded with their registrar of copyright. Mm. And uh, they could then prove who the author… Yes, because that's more important. And then the chain of ownership to who actually owns a copyright. Because most times the author doesn't own the copyright. They sign it over. Then what would happen is a technical expert would have to come in and see whether the latter song is an infringement. Mm -hmm. And because the two songs that you played are not that similar, because the words are totally different.
2: Sorry, let me just tell you what, uh, what the end result was. Um, the, the report I read says the songs are undeniably similar between the two singles, <clears throat> although Sam Smith said it was a complete coincidence.
3: Well, that can happen. Yeah. yeah. So, again, you'd lead evidence. Mm. And uh, one of the requirements for copyright infringement, including in the U.S., is there has to be actual copying. Mm. So you could, write, you could raise the defense Uh, with an unregistered right of an innocent infringer, that they never knew what they were doing. Mm. That would fall away in America because you've got a registered copyright, which is a public record, and you couldn't say I came across it independently. Mm. Now, the scope of protection you've got granted with a registration or, as like in the rest of the world, an unregistered copyright is not that wide. So the issue then comes out as... Were, a, you'd have to prove there was actual copying yeah. and B, that the scope of protection afforded by the registration would be sufficient. My view is if there was a formal dispute, I don't think the second song would be an infringement yeah. merely because the, the wording is dissimilar. It's a slightly different genre type of music and uh, I don't think people... Would think.
2: You know, maybe these very talented musicians hear a song 10 years before, kind of sticks in their mind when they create the new one. You see. Uh, I, and sorry, Jim, yeah. very often these songs are not really created by the, the singer, it's created no. by someone on behalf that, that sells the song. Correct. Yeah.
3: It's uh, yeah. the, the songwriter. Yeah. Uh, for the big names that you are mentioning now, uh, Tom Petty, etc., that. Uh, they generally have agents, and mm. if they suspect anything, then uh, they would get pre-authorization.
2: The question I want to ask you is: Could this lead to criminal sanctions as well as civil? Or
3: well, I'm not sure. in, in the In the U.S., where you, you're looking at their legislation, is different because. Mm. What it says in the U.S. is you don't have to register copyright, but if you don't, you can't claim statutory damages. So that means you can't sue for damages. In South Africa, there is criminal copyright infringement, but that is for, and I'm going to use the term loosely, extreme copying. So, for example, uh, it almost falls into the counterfeiting uh, field. So if um, I'll tell you a classic example where it comes in. Is when people make money presses. So they make uh, that, that is criminal copyright infringement because it falls within the parameters. Mm -hmm. So most copyrights definitely not criminal, but uh, if it's extreme, Mm -hmm. there is a provision for criminal copyright infringement.
2: If somebody steals your song and kind of adapts it slightly for themselves, there's a civil claim against them for. There's a civil claim. you
3: You raise a very relevant issue. You've got to prove damages. Yeah. Now, with music, it's difficult. Um, and with any case, I mean, that's exactly what happened when, a while back, uh, laugh off T-shirts uh, took S.A.B. Miller, and they had that the court case. Mm-hmm. And uh, S.A.B. Miller's revenue shot through the roof. And finally, when it got to the Constitutional Court, this T-shirt maker, I think his surname was Norse in the Western Cape, mm-hmm. he raised the point for the first time, uh, excuse me, can you prove that my T-shirt has cost you losses and you've suffered damages? Yes. A Constitutional Court had a look at that and said that's a very good question very relevant. Mm. In fact, if anything, it's probably bought publicity. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at the financials, they had a wonderful year. Mm. So you've got to prove damages, even if someone inf- so-called infringes your right. Now, mm. coming back to this music, mm. the, the earlier musician, I don't know if it was Perry or who the other, if, who it yeah, was, per-
2: Yeah, Petty was the first.
3: He's got to prove that the subsequent song has caused him damages, even if he can prove Mm. that there's an infringement. It's very difficult. Well,
2: he's showing that Sam Smith has made billions.
3: But that's not proving that you've suffered losses.
2: Yeah, he couldn't have got that money because Sam Smith got it. I mean,
3: the Laugh It Off t-shirts, it was very popular. I think the shirt said... Black, um, label. black label white gills. You know this
2: uh, yeah. these facts lines. You're yeah. Not Am in I correct. Idea? It was
3: black label white gills since yes. 1900 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Now, definitely uh, laughing off t-shirts. They sold a fortune. Yes. Yeah. But doesn't mean that because they sold a lot of shirts, yeah. that uh, SAB lost revenue. So you can't say that the other musicians sold because one's gain is not necessarily the other person's loss. But their argument was that uh,
1: it's an infringement on the goodwill of their brand. So then there's that aspect of the brand but being
3: correct, yeah, dragged into the brand. The issue there. is that's a, uh, in terms of technical, it's a section 35 trademark infringement, a 341C. In terms of uh, reputation and goodwill, the the aspect is, is any form of infringement. You've still got to prove damages, mm. and uh, that is why. It was held in that particular case by the Constitutional Court that even if there is an infringement, by the way, they also held that parody is is not an offence. So you can make parody without infringing. S.A.B. Miller has to prove damages. And so can you not. make
2: parody out of any song?
3: You can make parody from uh, in the normal, because it's, it's not direct infringement, parody. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. making fun of something is mm-hmm. not an infringement. Mm-hmm. The only time it does is if it goes to the dignity. So uh, if it's taken out of context in a negative way, you can show that your reputation and goodwill has been impinged. But for a t-shirt and a big uh, now the second largest, if not the largest after the Ambev deal, uh, Brewer in the World, they could not show the actual damages. What I'm saying is people weren't buying. What you need to, to bring that, what's what I call the causal nexus, the link, is you have to show that but for what the person has done, I ah, now have lost money. Mm. So, it's, for example, coming back to the practicals, there was a copyright issue on the T-shirt. Mm. Uh, you, they couldn't exactly say, because of this T-shirt, we are losing sales True. of alcohol.
2: Let's take a question from James Selby on copyright. He says, quote, Hi, what license and memberships are required to record covers of existing songs?
3: If you want to do a cover for a song you need the consent of the copyright owner uh, there are musical representative organizations in south africa such as samro mm. which you can contact them and they generally represent musicians yes alternatively you can go straight to the record company and get their consent but you would definitely require consent but i need to clarify that if you're not doing it for commercial gain then uh, it doesn't have to be required. For, let me give you a crack I want to sing at the off. school yes. at the school function. I don't. If you're not it. doing it for commercial gain, that's yeah. another aspect. It mm-hmm. has to be in the ordinary course and scope of business. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do a, a private recording and you're not going to benefit from it, you don't mm-hmm. need. A consent
2: Okay, Lange, you've got something on Brenda yeah. Fassi That you want to raise Exactly,
1: because yeah. uh, it's uh, such a hot topic at the moment Where there's going to be a movie about The character Brenda Fassi But then the, um, ma- the Former manager or the person who actually Owns, apparently he owns the rights Of Brenda Fassi in terms of the music As well as the name Brenda Fassi How does that work?
3: You see, you're going into another aspect Something called personality rights as well mm. Now generally... The strict interpretation of laws, when someone dies, they don't have any rights anymore. But what happens, especially with musicians, it goes into foundations. So a foundation is put up and the heirs often get rights to that. And I'll give you a practical example. Uh, there's Sir Percy Fitzpatrick Foundation, which has Jock of the Bushveld, mm-hmm. which is a very powerful uh, and powerful well-known book which has generated a lot of revenue. And in Mpumalanga, as you go into Nelspruit, just before, there was used to be a petrol station called Jock of the Bushveld. Mm-hmm. And the Sir Percy Fitzpatrick Foundation objected because they could prove they had the rights and they actually registered the trademark and they had to change the name. And it was Shell who mm. had Don't that really petrol station. Mm. So coming to Brenda Fossey, what would have happened is she's got an heir. She has heirs, right? In terms of that those rights divest either in the foundation or in respect of her personal uh, bequeath to her children. So uh, that's where the rights would lie. Now the question is who owns those rights can also be up to dispute mm-hmm. because um, uh, unless it's registered and, and uh, it's, it's put in someone's will or it's a foundation is formed theoretically you're entitled to Take commercial advantage of it
2: Let's talk a bit about YouTube We've got two questions on it Colleen says I'd like to use some YouTube videos In my training presentations And material Are they covered by copyright? There's another one But let's take Colleen
3: Okay When you create a video the Copyright vests in it However when you Put it in the public display for view, viewership. Mm. If you don't reserve ownership in it, for example, on the internet, like a YouTube, it's deemed to fall in the public domain unless you specifically reserve copyright. How do
2: you How do you reserve it? Well, on YouTube.
3: Copy, well, for YouTube, you would put a copyright clause in it, or someone to say that this. On on the actual, on the video itself. So so what happens is you can't take, um, for example, a big movie, a blockbuster, and put it on YouTube because Mm. there's copyright. If you have a look at the credits, it will often say Universal Picture owns the rights. And those are pulled very fast anyway. But if uh, if you don't reserve copyright and you publish it in a forum such as YouTube, which Mm. is a free forum, it's not a pay forum, It's implied that that work falls within the public domain, Mm. and therefore it's deemed that a free compulsory and perpetual license is granted to anyone to use it.
2: Excellent. So Colleen can go ahead and use it in her training presentations?
3: That is provided there isn't a reservation of copyright in that particular work. Okay, cool. Because what happens, just last thing I want to say is is that because YouTube is a free upload for all, Mm. often it's not the owner or author of the copyright who posts the video, and it's a third person, and they're unaware of it. Mm. That doesn't mean it falls in the public domain, because the person who's publishing is not the owner.
2: But if you're innocent and you don't know, and you use it... I no, guess, you yeah. see,
3: one of the I- aspects for copyright infringement, because it's an unregistered right, is you have mm. to prove guilty knowledge. Yes. So you could rely on the defense that you were unaware.
2: Right. From Nicole, she says, hi, I'm looking for advice regarding copyright laws. You're listening to the right show here. I'm in the process of setting up a stream YouTube channel, she says, and we want to name it The Fox and the Hound. However, there's a Disney movie by the same name. Would this be a copyright issue?
3: It's actually more of a trademark issue Uh, um, because there was quite a famous case in South Africa which held you cannot get copyright." In the name of a a movie And the name of the movie was The Man Who Broke the Bank And uh, copyright does invest But I can guarantee you If it's a Disney movie such as The Fox and the Hound There would be a registered trademark in that title And uh, the title would be in the service class Which is entertainment Mm -hmm. Uh, The class uh, 41 as well as in the Class 9, which is the actual disc, which is the goods. So what she would have to do is to see if the trademark is registered. The other aspect she's got how, sorry, is sorry, how would she do that? Uh, you'd have to do a trademark registry search.
2: Assuming that uh, can it can be done in South Africa? Uh, yes. For for something that's clearly American?
3: Well, it, tend, it depends where her intended market is. If it's South yeah. Africa, she would search here. If it's overseas… Uh, Should search there, but the Fox and the Hound would definitely be registered overseas. worldwide, probably worldwide because yeah. it's a Disney classic. Uh, so she would have a problem there. Also, the last thing I want to say is, even if it's not registered, if you've got a reputation and a goodwill, or just a reputation or goodwill, then uh, you acquire common law rights, which are rights unregistered rights, and and uh, because the Fox and the Hound is well is well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would not be able to do that because uh, the Disney company would go after her based on a common law unregistered rights.
2: Absolutely. I think we, we've got to move fast here. Yeah? We've okay. got a lot to cover. Before I um, ask you to talk about trademarks, let's discuss some really famous ones like uh, who hasn't heard of the Nike symbol, the tick and the words, just do it, the McDonald's double arch, Apple the Apple on the Apple computer, what about IBM with its trademark combination of letters and uh, design? The question is uh, how do we what does it cost if you want to trademark something? and how do these people go about trademarking everything and where do you do it in which countries and what's yeah, the cost of it
3: the aspect of how do you do it is is you have to get a trademark uh, application filed. It needs to be filed in the correct classes with the correct goods description.
2: Do you recommend people do it through an attorney like yourself or could they go and do it themselves?
3: Um, Generally, it should not be done by yourself because if you get the specification wrong Mm. and the goods description, uh, it's a problem because then you cannot enforce the rights. Mm. So you should go to someone who's skilled in they the particular, particularly in in that area.
2: What's the cost of that?
3: Well, it, it depends on country-specific because mm. when you go overseas, it's expensive because you're dealing with foreign currency. And looking at South Africa, yeah, it's not that expensive because you're dealing in rands. It also depends on how many classes. <sighs> I don't know if it's going to make me popular or not, but uh, obviously if you go to... Uh, Certain firms are going to charge you more if they are bigger because they've got larger expenses. Do, do
2: they want you to register some law firms? They want you to register worldwide. Do they recommend it? Whereas you say South Africa is sufficient. If you no, trading? you
3: see, if you're going, if your target market is overseas, you should register there. But the the costs involved vary mm. depending on which legal practitioner you you use, mm. and. Uh, I think that's a diplomatic way of saying it. It can be expensive. It doesn't have to be. It depends on who you use. So
2: how, uh, talk to me about trademarking my logo locally.
3: Your logo would be filed in the relevant class. So, yeah. uh, you would need to, you need to seek protection. Yeah. Um, there's also copyright which vests in a logo. The problem with, with your logo is although there's copyright, it's an unregistered right. So if someone, Steals your logo And you haven't got A registered trademark You have to prove You've got a Not only that you're The originator But you've got to prove That you've got a reputation And a goodwill
2: So like the tick The simple tick of Nike That's reserved to them Under their trademark No one else can use that that, I mean
3: it's just a tick Yes And it's quite interesting Because when you talk about uh, Famous marks Mm. Or well-known marks The protection that you get Is not only for the Identical or similar goods It's Mm. also for dissimilar So you would not be able to use the Nike tick even for something like computers. A classic example is Rolls-Royce. You wouldn't be able to make Rolls-Royce pens because Mm -hmm. it's it's deemed a well-known mark. So Mm -hmm. your scope of protection is wider. It gets quite interesting because once your trademark is well-known, in theory, you don't need a registration because your common law rights uh, suffice. But Mm -hmm. to get a trademark to be well-known, it has to have use. And uh, that's why it's essential for registration to get it to that position. Okay, also, so if you don't have registration, it's very difficult and expensive to enforce rights.
2: My, I'm a new company. I've got a great logo. I've got a great this and that. I want to trademark it. Give me the idea of how long and the cost from your firm.
3: To, mm-hmm. to Well, first of all, you must do a comprehensive search because mm-hmm. what happens is before you file, you need to know that it's available. Mm-hmm. So… comprehensive search uh, you would do and often that's not even charged for if there's going to be a filing and from filing until registration uh, it's just a few thousand rand that it would cost and that includes advertisement, prosecution it's actually first the process is examination by the registrar which is about four or five months after filing Mm -hmm. then uh, it's compliance with the registrar's examination requirements then it's getting advertisement and then all the way to uh, getting a a registration certificate. The problem with that, though, is the time process from filing until registration is at least a year and a half because Mm -hmm. of the backlog at the registry.
2: Would my local trademark be protected outside of South Africa?
3: Um, No, because the trademarks are geographic in location. It basically means that if you want to enforce your rights – Uh, In a specific country, you'd have Mm. to file there. But having said that, for example, in Europe, there's something called a CTM, which is a community trademark. One filing covers all the EU countries, which is a bit problematic now since the UK has pulled out of the EU. So separate filings are required there.
2: Let's talk about domain names.
3: This is this a domain name? The and is give us a, an example. And yeah. there's been a lot of cyber squatting before, and the best way to stop someone cyber squatting is with a registered trademark.
2: Mm. Um, what is cyber squatting?
3: Basically, mean? someone comes along and sees your company name or your brand. Mm. They go and look on the .za domain or the .com, and they see it's not registered, and then they file and they register the domain name mm. and holds you to ransom. Mm. The easiest way to stop that is that still
2: happening a lot?
3: It does happen a lot. Mm. Uh, the easiest way to stop that is with the registered trademark because you can prove ownership straight away. Uh, one of the uh, interesting matters which I was involved with quite a few years ago is with Schumann-Sassel. Because what happened there is uh, Schumann-Sassel is a German company and there was a Mr. Sassel in Germany, and he, that was his surname, and he registered the domain name, and he put, put pictures of his family on, which Ooh. he's entitled to because it was fair use. The yeah. problem was uh, Cecil couldn't trade with the .de, which is a German one, and, and they, were, they were quite upset there. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah. they had to actually pay, pay Mr. Cecil. A hell of a lot of money
2: Was it disclosed the amount?
3: It was a private settlement But I can tell you It was a huge amount Because they were losing more money SASL without Mm. being able to trade Mm. uh, On the internet Mm. But coming back to that When your name has a secondary reputation uh, As a trademark So for example Mr. McDonald You wouldn't be able to argue fair use So even if you are Mr. McDonald You couldn't put uh, your domain name Out with your family Photographs on Because the protection Of a well-known Trademark Is for dissimilar Goods and services But I'm going back To the 90s now When there wasn't This uh, amendment To the law
2: If you have Registered a South African Trademark How long Does it last
3: for? It lasts forever Provided it's uh, Renewed every 10 years
2: And renew Means you've got To go and pay Money There's a
3: a small uh, Annual renewal Fee of uh, uh, Very limited Less than A thousand Rand
2: Let's talk about a man called Tapello who says, I've been working on an idea this under patent for years and I'm getting ready to build a prototype. I need to patent that idea. How is it done and how much will it cost, the patent?
3: Okay. Well, firstly, there's no protection of an idea. You can't patent an idea. You can patent an invention.
2: Mm.
3: The, for an invention, for a patent to be enforceable, it has to be new, novel, and unique and involved an in inventive step. under the Patents Act, Section uh, 25. The aspect, though, is... And uh, there was a very interesting case in America called the Alice case, which basically held that to get an enforceable patent now is almost impossible. means that uh, to to get a patent which you can stop other people from infringing is very, very difficult. And Mm. the, the reality is where patents... Have applicability Is for example A molecule In a pharmaceutical drug Because there's a specific Chemical uh, Formula So And you You register that drug That molecule mm-hmm. Now when someone's got An invention Whether it's uh, I don't know The the facts But Let's say it comes up With a new Tool That's a good example Because that's what Everyone comes up with mm-hmm. So even if you get registration, which you will in South Africa because there's no examining office. So even if you filed for perpetual motion, you would get registration. Oh, really? There's no mm. examining office. Yeah. The truth is, is an infringer, all he needs to do is change it very slightly and he's outside the scope. So often the uh, best way to protect your new invention is to keep it secret. So if there is a specific formula that goes into making a product, you keep that quiet. And I'll tell you why also. Because if you've got an invention and you file a patent for it, you have to disclose the best method of production. Mm-hmm. So then you've got to show exactly how it operates, how it's put together, how it, is, uh, how it works.
2: And everyone sees that. Everyone sees that once oh. it's registered. Yeah.
3: So... It won't make me popular with a lot of the patent people, but that's the truth.
2: Well, I'll tell you something, Jerry. I watch uh, avidly uh, Dragons Den. Have you? Do you watch that? Ever? No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, they try and sell their ideas to the dragons. Oh yes, I yes. have
3: seen that. Okay, with and the one UK the, one.
2: One of the the UK one. Yes. One of the first questions that Deborah, whatever her name is, Whedon I think it is, asks, "Do you have a patent for this product?" Because everyone's trying to sell something
3: mm-hmm. novel,
2: and uh, if they don't have a patent. The dragons don't look at it. I'll
3: tell you, I'll tell you why that in the, in the UK and especially in the US, they have a very strict examining office. So Mm. what will happen is to get registration, you, the registrar will sit with a highly skilled person if it's a mechanical invention, if it's Mm. a, Electrical, they'll get an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. And it's a hell of an issue to get registration. So mm-hmm. in the rest of the world, once you get registration, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot better than South Africa because we do not have any examining office. So, so but you, I can tell you yeah. something very interesting. I don't mm-hmm. agree with that lady because if you look at the official statistics in the U.S., even after the patents have been registered and it's a vigorous and costly process, mm-hmm. when they challenged most of them, actually don't uh, succeed in defending the challenge. And it's very rare, even with a registered patent, to stop an infringer because their defenses generally work. And that's post the Alice case.
2: There's a guy called Bruce Wiley. He says, uh, very interestingly, he says, local and international patents uh, can be very expensive. Uh, Hold on, uh, where's the one that someone wrote there? I think it was Nikita. She says... uh, if someone uh, also by the, Is only valuable If you can enforce it So she says In other words Say someone does steal your idea Do you have the financing To sue them for it There's, there's,
3: there's another aspect If yeah. you Look at the official statistics And the US are very good With keeping that Of the patents Which are registered There's hardly any Which actually The patent holder Makes money from mm-hmm. So The commercialization Of intellectual property Is a major issue then to try and enforce it once you believe there is an infringer is difficult because it's not an exact science Mm -hmm. unless it's an identical infringement. And also the the big problem that you've got, even if you've got a registered patent, is the searches don't help because for something to be new, novel, and unique, there has to be new, novel, and unique in the whole world. So if something which is confusingly similar or identical exists, even though it's not a patent – That knocks out your patent, and that's the problem because there's no way as an examiner. When he examines, he looks at patent registries, and generally they look at the U.S. Patent Office and the Japanese Patent Office because those are actually, by the way, free online. Mm -hmm. So if you think you've got a new invention, you go to uspatent.gov and you put in keywords and the Japanese Patent Registry, and then you'll get a good idea. But the the point is even if you've got that, doesn't mean that there isn't something which is confusingly similar, which exists prior to your date of filing. Mm. And that's what happens is that no examiner can pick that up because they're not, I mean, you don't know what's out there.
2: We're talking to Jeremy Kingsbury. He's of K-I-G-R dot C-O dot Z-A. Very knowledgeable. And you've got a great website. Have a look at that one. K-I-G-R dot C-O dot Z-A. There's some good stuff there. There isn't really a
3: a website. it's, It's Kingsbury Grasser.
2: Yeah um just lastly on websites, uh, can we discuss the protection of websites? That question.
3: Well, the Protection of websites, there's certain statutory information that you need to put on if you want to protect. There's also things, that certain disclosure which companies have to put in terms of uh, Promotion of Access to Information Act. For example, also the Companies Act, you have to put... Often you go into a company and there isn't proper disclosure as required, even in terms of the consumer protection that you got to put down directors' names. You got to put down information. Now it's subject to copyright protection. Your website, so people cannot cut and paste, and that's a common thing which does happen. Mm-hmm. So, the, what
2: kind of wording do you put? No, on?
3: you basically will say that this, you know, materials is protected, mm-hmm. uh, subject to copyright ownership, and then you put the copyright owner for literary works you, gener- the, uh, you generally put in that this is protected in terms of the burn convention any unauthorized use Manuf- uh, manufacture reproduction is uh, actionable
2: by the copyright owner you know that little C that you find yes. in a circle does that mean anything
3: yes that, that's the copyright symbol and then yeah. you, but you have to put the name of the copyright owner which also is quite interesting because Cell C has got that as a registered trademark. Yes, they mark. do. Yeah, but they've got that oh. because they've got a secondary reputation. But it's very controversial because Ooh. they're using an official symbol, which is is a there copyright.
2: is there C of Cell C similar to? It's that? identical to is the copyright. Identical? But the issue is yeah.
3: they're very specific to with telecommunications, yeah. and if you look at the field of players, this is what MTN, Vodacom, Cell C, um, there's the Telkom. There's hardly any. Mm. So the, the likelihood of people being misled is not much because it's a very specialized and a field. When I say specialized, there's not a lot of players in it.
2: We have a few minutes left. Is there something we haven't covered that you'd like to raise?
3: There's other aspects of intellectual property which flow from that. So For example, counterfeiting um, the common law issues of passing off unlawful competition Uh, There's lots of aspects which fall from it. I can tell you, interestingly enough, Mm. when you look at uh, share values of companies, uh, if you do a proper breakdown, because in terms of the US, they have to for their IRS system. The major asset of most companies is actually the intellectual property. Uh, A lot of people don't put values on it, and uh, they cannot then benefit from tax advantage. Alternatively, They cannot leverage against it, for example, using it uh, to raise finance through capital. Mm -hmm. And that's been done cleverly in the past uh, when uh, Food Corp, one of the biggest uh, food brand companies, had a management buyout. They actually used their trademarks to raise capital as assets. They ceded them to the bank. That's another story because then everyone knows what happens with Palmozi and that liquidation subsequent Mm -hmm. to it. But
2: uh, I think Lionel wants to, before we let yeah. you go. You want to raise something there, Lionel?
1: There's been one uh, with Valpray uh, where they were counterfeit uh, factory uh, producing water and pretending to be them. So how do they deal with such things? Well, there's
3: there's a bigger case. You're talking about water. In, uh, in uh, the UK, Coca- uh, Coca-Cola were hit massively because they were selling mineral water and they were actually using tap water. So... Uh, It it was themselves that that were doing it They were calling Mineral Water Counterfeiting uh, is a criminal offence In terms of the Counterfeit Goods Act um, And uh, it's very real But funny enough to enforce uh, Your rights in terms of the Counterfeit Goods Act You need a registered trademark A copyright or a patent Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it's in products It's generally you need to require a registered trademark So for example Valpray I'm sure Have a registration Someone comes along and uh, takes their bottles and counterfeits their product. They, there's criminal sanction, but they can also sue civilly because that can be very uh, detrimental.
2: So There's a minefield of stuff one has got to walk through on intellectual property. It's been so interesting, Jeremy. The time has flown. We'd like to thank you very much for coming through. Jeremy Kingsbury, a specialist in intellectual property. Patents, trademarks... Uh Copyrights. Ver- copyright, uh intangibles, oh, schmintangibles, whatever it may be. Many thanks to you. Lines were a good one, wasn't it? Brilliant. Cool. Okay. Thank you Thank very you. much. See you next time. Okay. Bye bye.
1: Law. Like you've never heard it before. The laws of life. With Gary Hertzberg on Cliffcentral.com. This is Cliffcentral.com.